previously on Relative Fiction. But I am starting to see your father. I see what you mean by a Jim Belushi face. My mom would have drove and got you herself and been like, no, come here, right? And and live different. Oh, I'm just still so glad that we found each other. Me too, yeah. It was certainly meant to be. Tina called me and she said, I just want you to know that I know everything about David's past. He's told me everything. I must have said, oh, so you know about the girls. You know, I probably said it like that. And she's like, what? We have changed some names to protect people's privacy, but all of these stories are true. My grandmother's funeral was held on a scorching hot day in Orange County, California. The sun felt even more relentless as it reflected off the asphalt surrounding her evangelical church, smack dab in the middle of an industrial business park. Since my dog had accompanied me to all my visits with Bonnie, I asked if I could bring her. I wheeled Ponyo's tiny travel case through the parking lot heat and into a large, air-conditioned room full of relatives who all knew each other. I was the new guy, first day on the job after being hired by the dearly departed boss. People milled around, drinking lemonade from a pitcher labeled Bonnie's Famous Recipe. I wondered if they had used the lemons from her backyard tree. I poured myself some in a large plastic cup to carry with me as I prepared to mingle. My aunts gathered around and told me that grandma's final wish was that I be connected with the family, and they were going to try their best to make that happen. The funeral director let family members go in first to view the body privately before the service. My aunt Julie waved me and Ponyo in as a gesture of inclusivity. She was already making good on her promise to grandma. When I realized that I was going to have a chance to approach grandma in her casket, I was unprepared. I hastily dug around in my purse for a notepad and scrawled a short message. I tucked the note inside Grandma Bonnie's tiny embalmed hand. I thanked her for finding me. I said I would love her forever. It felt important to be there to be invited to say a final goodbye. Something I hadn't been able to do for my father. In the darkened chapel, a slideshow history of grandma's life and family played across a screen. And in it, there was a photo we took on the first day of meeting each other. Me, grandma, and Ponyo in her backyard smiling together. I didn't have to imagine what life would be like with this family. It was right here. The closer I got to this family, the more I could see how much they all meant to each other. And the harder it became for me to understand how Grandma Bonnie could have been estranged from her own son. Nearby, in an aisle, I saw two women in knee-length black dresses, separate from the larger group, heads tilted towards each other as they whispered and laughed amongst themselves. I recognized them immediately. The girls. Grandma had told me about them. I knew they had no idea who I was, but this was the first time we'd been in the same room together. 
So with Ponyo's carrier wheels squeaking behind me, I power walked over and broke into their conversation. Hi, are you Susie and Stacy? I'm your sister. From Oregon Public Broadcasting, I'm Nicole J. Georges, and you're listening to Relative Fiction. If you tell a lie enough, right, it becomes the truth, and that's the only thing you know. This is terrible of me, but because of his history, the first thing I thought was, does he have another family? I do remember that he hired a private investigator to try and find you, but they changed your name. You're going to get really different stories from different people. There's not going to be a central story in some ways, and that's the story. Like, how could all these things happen to us growing up, and no one noticed? It made me really question, did all of this happen the way I remember it? With the help of my producer, Claudia Meza, we'll be delving into the heart of one of the most nebulous mysteries of the universe, family. Chapter six, Nesting Doll. So there was always a hint that we had another sister, but we didn't know if she was older than us or younger than us. Like grandma would mention it. You know, I think there's another one of you out there. Yeah, this cute little girl and her dog just comes rolling on up. Hi, I'm your sister. I'm like, hey. Hey, nice to meet you. I was like, she's so cute. Look at her. Oh, my God. And I was like, how come she got to bring her dog? (laughs) This is Susie and Stacy, the girls, as they're called, by almost everyone on my grandma's side. They're my older half-sisters, kids my dad had a decade before he met my mom. Susie also goes by Sue. I'm Sue Thomas, and I'm Nicole's oldest sister. I'll be 50 this year. Truthfully, the two sisters I grew up with, Liz and Megan, are a little bit older than Susie and Stacy. I'm a medical assistant. Now I work for a plastic surgeon and a dermatologist. I have two boys. They are great and super cute. And I live in Tucson, Arizona, and that's about it. And I am Stacy Hudgens. My mom left our dad when she was pregnant with me, and I am 48 and a Capricorn. I am a statistician, and I love music, and I'm a homo. There you go. (laughs) I can fill in the blanks for you later about Sue. She's a great person. She's funny as can be and very little. She's five feet tall. She loves music and long walks on the beach. (laughs) Even though they're two years apart, Susie and Stacy communicate almost as if they're twins. They finish each other's sentences, have entire discussions using only their eyes, and say irreverent things just to make each other laugh. They survived a difficult childhood together, and their mutual affection and bond shows it. Hey, um, just real quick disclosure. Stacy has five dogs here at this house, so they may bark. It's generally Sue's pheromones that send them off, though, if I'm honest. They love me. Something about me. She's nasty. That's what it is, is that they're like, oh, my God, she smells like outside. (laughs) Sisterly love. And that's how I met them at the funeral, cracking jokes and whispering off-color remarks to each other. I little sistered right up and followed them around with Ponyo wheeled behind pretty much the entire time I was there. During our conversation, they filled me in on what had happened right before I arrived at our grandmother's funeral. Here's Susie. That was the craziest funeral I'd ever been to. Yeah. The wrong dress, the wrong wig. The wrong casket, was it? I mean, like, I mean, I was like, is that really her in there? Are you guys sure? Everything was not hers. She was like wearing another lady's whole outfit. Really? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then they... 
They told Stacy to go in there. Stacy, who wears no makeup, doesn't do her hair. Whatever. You know, I'm the one that works in the like cosmetic industry. You'd think that Aunt Leah would have said to me, hey, Susie, can you go in there and, and look at Grandma Bonnie and tell me how she looks? If she looks beautiful, we're going to keep the casket open. If not, we're going to close it. I was like, okay, they're having a big fight about it, the sisters. Stacy goes, she tells Stacy, go in there and tell me what Grandma Bonnie looks like. She's sobbing. Stacy comes out and she goes, she looks amazing. I mean, she was dead. What was I supposed to do? Right. But then Leah comes in. Leah looks at her. (laughs) And in front of the whole place, she looks down and she goes, she does not look amazing. (laughs) And she starts sobbing. (laughs) I'm a statistician. Let's be fair, man. I'm a statistician. Does she look good? Zero or one? Yes or no? But our cousin goes up there crying, Becky, and she turns around, looks at me. She goes, do you have any lip liner or anything? I was like, you're keeping it. I'm not going to want it back. (laughs) I didn't need a paternity test. Of course, these cackling jokesters creating sitcom mayhem at a solemn event were my sisters. We also look a lot alike. I regret to admit that we're all on the Belushi spectrum. My producer, Claudia, even noted. Nicole, this is the first time I see like an actual resemblance. With your big eyes and and your adorable little round faces. Oh, (laughs) thank you. She looks like she could be our child. We look like we are a set. Susie and Stacy had heard murmurs of a possible long-lost sister, but in the 10 years it took to find my grandma, nobody had said a single word about Susie and Stacy to me. Not my sisters, or my mom, or even Tina and David Jr. But my grandma mentioned them right away. When Bonnie sent me away from her house with succulents and lemons, she also gave me a link to Stacy's Facebook page. In her profile picture, Stacy was dressed as an elf next to her dog, that she had also dressed as an elf. It's genetic, I gasped to Ponyo, who at that moment was wearing a sailor suit matching my own. These were my people. And we had more in common than our irreverent senses of humor, our love of coordinating outfits with our dogs, and the bonus awesomeness that two of us were gay. None of us had ever met our father as adults not the submarine driver, nor the coal miner, nor the con man, and definitely not the devoted dad. Here's Susie. They say that I was around him for my first like year of life. And that was like when Stacy was conceived and then they broke up and he wanted nothing to do with us. So he never saw us again. Never through your whole lives? Never, Stacy. No, no, I never. But we have pictures of us at grandma's house when we were younger. We knew of grandma and such, but not our dad. Just like with me, grandma, Bonnie and Aunt Julie were the only ones who were attempting to keep track of the girls. Here's my Aunt Julie. And my mom said, I'm going down to see the kids. Do you want to send them anything? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make them some little blouses. And I sent them these little tops. So... That's my mother's goal in all of that, is I want my grandchildren to know we care about them. So she was looking, where are you, where are you? She'd send them money, she'd send them clothes, she'd get care packages together, because she knew they were struggling. And my mom was devastated that David did not do what he was supposed to do for these kids. According to my Aunt Julie, Susie and Stacy's mom also took the girls away from David. Put him on a plane. She flew off to Michigan and she never connected with David again. Susie and Stacy say their mom was just trying to keep them safe. 
But my mom also told us that he was aggressive. So as funny as he was, he had a really vicious temper. And that actually has been confirmed by a couple of my aunts on my mom's side. My dad's aggressive younger self was so intense that Susie and Stacy's mom chose to keep her children away from him their entire lives. She, like my mom, went without child support. And much like the end of his relationship with my mom, his family didn't know much about what had actually happened. But the difference in our stories is that my dad didn't just stop checking in on or looking for the girls. He would also claim they weren't his, and at times, even denied their existence. It's possible that this version of himself is something he couldn't look at as the reformed father he became, and he had to keep it secret from his final family. And our grandmother, she really like felt for us that he didn't want like to be in our life, but it was almost like a known thing. It was very clear from my mom and from them, that side of the family. Yeah, and similar to what Sue said, we're actually the reasons, I don't know if you know this, but we're the reasons why Grandma and David kind of parted ways because Grandma refused to denounce us as her grandchildren. And there it was, the best explanation of why my dad had cut off that whole side of the family. I didn't realize at the time how deep this schism was or how much it would end up affecting me. As far as Tina knows, my dad and his mom had one big blowout phone call and... He was like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And uh, he never saw her again or spoke to her. And Tina claims to have not really known about Susie and Stacy until after his passing, when a few of his lies began to unravel. David swore it was something that Bonnie made up, that they were not his, that he was. So I never really pursued it, thought about it, talked to them. So Tina pushed it out of her mind. She just chalked it up to Bonnie being a spoon, stirring things up. If her true love, her husband, said it was all lies, that was good enough for Tina. I mean, why would he lie? He'd been forthcoming about having me, and she was helping him raise his two boys. So why go through all the trouble of denying two more kids? Here's Aunt Julie. My mom's assessment of that, and I do believe she is correct, is that everybody knew so much about David that Tina didn't know. And I think he was thinking, I don't want her to know. I don't want her to know about all this stuff. So if you're not in my life, she's not going to find out. She's not going to hear it. She's not going to know it. And I think that there's some truth to that. Through the process of talking to people for this podcast, I found that all of my father's separate realities were starting to mix. I didn't mean to be the new spoon in town, but as I spoke to various family members, all the lies others had been telling, perhaps unknowingly, to cover for his lies were also beginning to fall apart. Even David Jr. hadn't heard of Susie and Stacy. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know about this until after. I guess y'all talked to Toad. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Um, and then she she didn't tell us for like a week or so because we hadn't been together. And then I think me and Summer and her were eating somewhere, and she was like, "Hey, I got something to tell y'all." And I was like, "What?" David is talking about his mother Tina and his sister Summer. Once we spoke to Tina for the podcast. 
she figured it was time to tell David Jr. and his sister about the rumor of the girls she never followed up on. To me, it was almost like, really? Like, did you've gone through this newness. I haven't gone through the newness necessarily. So I was kind of like, is it real? Like, is it true? That's crazy to me. Like, I, I don't know. I, I felt for David Jr. And I hate that family secrets are yet another thing we have to have in common. But I didn't have any good advice for my brother about how to handle this newness. Every time I had found out about a new family member or twist, I felt myself shutting down. My chest tightened, my head ached. It took years before I could even look for answers. David Jr. rightfully has a lot of questions, but he's mainly confused about why Susie and Stacy weren't a part of his life. I guess what's that backstory? is something that I would I would be curious on. Okay, well, why haven't you reached out? Why didn't you reach out? I don't know. I mean, has anybody talked to them? David Jr. was under the impression it was Susie and Stacy's choice they were all estranged. They had never reached out. But I wrote Tina. You wrote to Tina? Yeah, when our dad died, about the funeral. I wrote to her on Facebook, and she never wrote me back. What did you say? I said, I'm one of David's daughters from a bunch of years ago, and I'm contemplating going. I don't know you. I don't know your kids. I don't want to surprise you. Blah, blah, blah. I wrote this whole thing to her, and she never wrote back. So, you know, David and Summer probably have a very different impression because she didn't write back. I don't feel comfortable going because I don't want, because those kids were young when he died. Whether Tina ever saw this message, I don't know. But even if she did... I think my dad put Tina in an unfair position. The father of her children dropped dead unexpectedly, and then people he'd assured her hadn't existed started messaging her, insisting they were real. Susie and Stacy had been trying to shake the ghost of my dad for their entire lives, long before he actually died. But Stacy's face was a constant reminder. And I get the curse of looking like the son of a bitch, so I'm like... <laughs> Aunt Julie also noted the resemblance. Well, Stacy has the most of David's temperament. She's fiercely defensive of anything she loves. You know, she'll take you to the ground if she has to and wrestle you. Um, but I love that. It's it, She has an intensity about her. And so many of his kids are very, very smart. As they grew up, the sisters had very different feelings about finding our father. Stacy, his twin, maintained a nagging biological urge for connection. I had to live with being told, you look like him, you act like him, you're smart like him. So you kind of think, God, I would really like to meet this person, if nothing more than to show him that, you know, look what you're missing out on. Sue and I are great people. But uh, grandma told me where he worked when I was 24. I wrote him a letter about me and Susie and I sent it by priority mail basically letting him know what a shitty person he was and how successful the two of us were. He didn't write back, in case you're wondering. Susie, the oldest, was fine with this limb of her family tree being excised completely. One clean cut, no need to look back. And I would have never went with you. I would have never went with Stacy to go meet him because he didn't want me in his life to begin with. I'm not going to beg you to want me. I did not care. I really did not because 
if you don't want me, you don't want me. Like, I love my kids. I adore them. And I would never want them to feel how I felt like that. You know, my poor mom had to struggle. You know, here he is out raising or making more babies all over the place. Like, screw him. I asked my mom if she knew about Susie and Stacy. She was flabbergasted. Her mouth froze mid-laugh and her eyebrows rose. She did not know that her husband, David, had an original batch of girls. As I talked to Susie and Stacy more, I found out how intensely their mom's story paralleled with my own. My mom chose to kill David off in her story, in theory to protect me. But this meant that she struggled. She received some money from her family and relied on various men as she supported three girls. Susie and Stacy told me they were intermittently homeless as kids and would have really benefited from another income as their mom tried to raise two kids alone. But through it all, at least they had grandma. She was like a distant fairy godmother. She even tried to adopt them at some point. And then my grandma was like sending all these like really nice presents to us. And, you know, we were super poor. So these were all like extravagant to us. Like, wow, look at that coat and these candies. And she sent us all this stuff and was so sweet. And then she sent those papers. My mom was like, give me that candy. (laughs) My mom was pissed. And she was like, no, you're not getting my kids. You know, it was crazy. So my mom didn't like her for a long time. Susie and Stacy didn't get to see Grandma in person when they were little, but they connected later when they were in their early 20s. Here's Stacy. The first time we met Grandma, Susie broke all of her Christmas ornaments. <laughs> all of Grandma's Christmas ornaments? Yeah, she knocked them off the washing machine. <laughs> I was horrified. I was so nervous meeting all of them. And Susan, our aunt, had handmade all of them. They put sand in each one. And like, it wasn't like just a freaking like ornament. It's like this handmade thing that takes you probably like an hour to do each one. And I knock them all down and break them. I was like, bye, I'm out of here. It put the bar so low for me, I could do no wrong. And plus, I looked like her son and I. she was like, oh, you look just like David. But she was funny, super funny. She definitely had that Southern side to her. I I thought I found my people when I sat and talked to her for a long time. You know, like her sarcasm was hysterical. She was really quick-witted. I also felt like I found my people when I sat down with my grandma. But she knew that our time was short and she was about to leave. Grandma's final wish, besides finding me, was to connect me to the girls and she knew we would meet at her funeral. What she failed to mention was what we would bond over next. Coming up after the break. You know, Grandma Bonnie would say, I'm gonna tell you things that you never knew, Susie, and you know, there's so many things I want you to know. Welcome back. This is Relative Fiction. After the funeral, I bought a hummingbird feeder in honor of my grandmother and hung it in the window near the plants she had given me. One day, sitting on my couch and staring and waiting for birds to arrive, I got a phone call. It was one of my aunts. She wanted to know my address because my grandmother's lawyer wanted to send me something. Something about the will. 
my aunt wanted to reiterate how much I meant to grandma and how whatever she was about to say had been decided long before I was in her life. My father, David, and all of his issues, that's the legal term, were specifically cut out of grandma's will. I had been disinherited. Something heavy like cement landed in the pit of my stomach, the jagged corners tearing on their way down. I was an issue. I was a family member, but I was an issue? My head swam. I leashed up my dog and called one of the only people in the world who would understand. I called my new sister, Stacy. We became issues instead of children, and they tried to spin it. She was just trying to make sure everything was okay, but she had just gone and redone her will a short time prior to her death. I hadn't considered a will. Like a father, the idea of inheritance was hazy to me. And once again, the concept only came into sharp focus as it was being ripped away. I didn't feel entitled to an inheritance, but I also didn't feel like I deserved to be disinherited. What's the purpose of a family, after all? You take care of each other. Susie and Stacy were disappointed in a different way. Bonnie wasn't rich, but she had told them to be expecting something when she died. You know, Grandma Bonnie would say, I'm going to tell you things that you never knew, Susie, and, you know, there's so many things I want you to know, and, and I will always take care of you, and I love you, and we were close like that my whole life, and then to be an issue. My grandmother, who'd embraced me, had severed me years ago, before she even found me. Something about this felt so sharp, so deliberately unkind. I felt very young in this moment, like I would never be cared for again. My new sisters were more familiar with this feeling. Members of the family had turned their back on them and denied their existence for years. Even at Bonnie's funeral, they weren't in the family slideshow. There, you were in it, though, Nicole. I think that you were in one. And I was like, they just found out about her. Wait a minute. I'm the oldest. My full name is Bonnie Suzanne. I was named after Grandma Bonnie. I'm her first grandchild. And I was, there's not even a picture of me in there. I was like, what the hey? <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, so then to get that letter in the mail, they tried their hardest to anticipate and make us feel better. I'm like, you're not going to make us feel any better. We were the rejected two, first of all. We didn't even make it in the slide presentation. We're lucky we got invited to the funeral. And now we're issues. Thanks. It was a strange comfort to find people who had experienced the same shock of being let down by their family as I had. I wish they had been there all along. So does Susie. I would have more of liked to have known that Nicole was around or other family was around that we didn't know. And we had to learn all this as we go. Like we shouldn't have had to delve into people's lives to find out that we had other siblings. I mean, that should have been something. Embrace your, your loved ones. He lost out, not us. That's how I feel. Despite it all, I felt so lucky to have embraced my grandmother while I could. And now, at her request, my sisters. But being disinherited still haunted me. I needed to be able to talk about it with someone who had been with me on this entire journey. Do you remember when I met my grandma? Yes. What do you remember about that? 
<laughs> I remember sitting with you in your apartment in LA and you like sketched out for me all the different half siblings you have. You were sort of like creating a family tree as it was being revealed to you. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, okay, so which siblings are from which marriage and who are all these people? And holy shit, you have a grandmother and she's in Los Angeles? This is my friend, Beth Pickens. I met her 13 years ago, shortly after I learned that the palm reader was telling the truth. Beth is as tall and capable as my sister, Meg. She has long, wavy brown hair and a forever determined expression on her face. Like my gay sister, Stacy, she's a Capricorn and a homo. I'm an arts consultant in Los Angeles, and I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. Beth felt devastated on my behalf when I told her about the will. Well, to go to the trouble of meeting you, to go to the trouble of sort of bringing you into this family system and then creating this weird divide, like you're in, you're part of this thing, but not really. It, this push-pull was so odd to me. We originally wanted to talk with a therapist for this podcast to unravel the grief and trauma this whole family mystery has brought me. But in the end, it made more sense to go to my chosen family. Nicole and I, our sadnesses and traumas are friends. Like we have a lot of joy together, but our sadnesses also speak to each other. I had lost my father and my grandmother and then discovered I'd been disowned because of just generational trauma that just keeps replicating and replicating and replicating. And of course, I lost my mom in a way. This whole story started because the person who raised me, who I still love dearly, had lied to me. It's sort of this central wound that your life has worked around and you've been grappling with it. The harm that happens when someone creates a secret and then creates an infrastructure to protect it, it's going to impact people. Even if a person has, just like I'm sure your mom believes and lots of people with secrets believe, I'm doing this to protect someone, what they're doing is taking away that person's agency. They took choices away from you and created, it's like a wound that never got treated. So then it just has all this scar tissue around it. There's consequences to secrets and they're not good. I felt like I had to forgive my mother multiple times throughout the years in order to keep her in my life. I had forgiven her for lying to me about my dad being dead. I had forgiven her for raising me with the idea that my dad was a scumbag. I had forgiven her for giving my book a one-star Amazon review. And when I met my dying grandmother, I had to forgive her for keeping me away from this woman my whole life. It's like the more that's revealed from your mom and the elaborate lie that was constructed throughout your life. First, you have to have the information. Then you have to accept that, okay, now I have this new information. My reality is altered again. And now I have some feelings about it. And you and I know people with childhood trauma, we have real delayed feelings. So <laughs> the feelings that might get stirred up right now might not come into effect for a while. And it's like, as we work through feelings, then we can decide when you arrive at forgiveness, I was still reeling from the emotional whiplash of falling in love with my grandmother and then being disowned. She'd been hurt by my dad and wanted to hurt him back. I was just collateral damage. No one in the family could quite explain why she had done it. I'm not sure if I know how to forgive her yet. The question of what the role or how important what is forgiveness in a family system it, it's, it's always for you. It's for the individual so that we can be liberated from the most toxic, natural 
effects of betrayal and, and hurt and trauma and harm, not to s- smooth things over. That's not forgiveness. That's codependency or silence. And we don't forgive in order to not have feelings because you're going to have feelings about this for the rest of your life and new ones will emerge. I think part of the reason why my mom didn't want to talk to us for the podcast is that she had felt so betrayed by my book and she had worked really hard to try and forgive me. I wanted to ask something I'd been wondering throughout this whole process. Beth Pickens, am I a traitor to my mother? (laughs) No, you can't. That's not a thing a person can be. (laughs) You living doesn't betray another person. Simply the fact of your existence can't betray another person. I had a feeling that Beth was not going to say I was a traitor to my mother. And yet, I've been plagued by this. And not just me, but also my sister Megan. Every time a new episode of this podcast drops, she calls me. And we have to talk through our anxiety that we're going to be in trouble with mom. And you all are middle-aged. You are no longer able to be in trouble. But it's not adult Nicole and Meg who are worried they're in trouble. It's the little kid versions. Because adults can't be in trouble with their parents. Adults (laughs) don't get in trouble with their elderly parents. Our middle-aged selves being afraid of our elderly parent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 42 and afraid of this elderly woman. I know because it's just, it's the younger version. I think when you and Meg talk, it would be interesting just to ask each other, like, so how old do you feel right now? How old do you feel right now? Because that younger person is who needs soothing. My mom disagrees with me saying my experiences out loud. This podcast is my way of saying to my younger self, I believe you, and I found the receipts. When you tell a person over and over that your experience didn't happen, that person develops severe mental illness. And so a way that you were able to save yourself was by documenting your experience and having that as a record to reflect back at you what was true for you. After having so many years of untruth and confusion, and chaos. I think it saved your life. I also think it saved my life. This doesn't mean that any of it was easy. There were times when sitting down at my desk to draw my childhood bowel issues or my sister's crying felt excruciating. But I had my chosen family, friends like Beth, Rachel, and Elvis to support me. Yeah, you couldn't have done what you did until you were in a place where you could like have stable ground and stable relationships around you and feel like there were some people who could catch you emotionally. Working on the book and this podcast have been like delving into a parallel reality because in real life, I'm okay. I've survived all of this with the support of my friends. So many of us are born into families that we just don't belong in. You know, that's certainly been true for many queer people throughout history. You have biological family and then you have your logical family, the people you're supposed to be going through the world with. And I think you, Nicole, had multiple instincts going at the same time. One, you were an artist. Two, you were queer. Three, you had this fucked up family system that you knew you had to get away from. So you had all of these impulses firing at once that just yelled to you in your ear, get out of here and find your people. And you had a really strong survival instinct to do just that. It didn't matter in the end if this flawed, charming man would have embraced me or exiled me because I'm thriving without him. I think one of the messages that just your life and career promote is that we can get in our adult lives what we couldn't get as kids. And you're able to give those things too. 
you can heal, you can have resilience. So it's not inevitable that a person is traumatized for the rest of their life and they never have anything good. (laughs) I know I already said this, but the way I've survived all of it, no teeth, bad stomach, shaky parenting, and unpacking a nesting doll's worth of secrets is through art. Drawing my book was hard. Interviewing my father's family for this podcast was harder. It's been a year of heavy conversations with people I barely knew about grief I had barely been able to let myself feel. This podcast may have been a window to some of you, or a mirror. To me, it was a bridge between you and me. After decades of being isolated by lies built on someone else's shame, I have felt like I wasn't alone anymore. Thank you for joining me. This is, I'm sure it's not done now. This isn't the end of the story. God damn it. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps people find us. And thank you to everyone who talked to us for this podcast. Relative Fiction is brought to you by Oregon Public Broadcasting. It's hosted by me, Nicole J. Georges, and written and produced by Claudia Meza and myself. Sage Van Wing is our executive editor. All original music by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Sound design and audio editing by Claudia Meza and all mixing and mastering by Stephen Cray. Special thanks to Ryan Haas, Elizabeth Miller, and Anna Griffin. And thanks to Jessica Lignato. You should really check out her podcast. It's called Ghost of a Podcast. You can find it at lovelignato.com. That's L-O-V-E-L-A-N-Y-A-D-O-O.com. And if you want to hear more from Beth Pickens, check out her podcast. It's called Mind Your Practice. We'd still love to hear from you. Tell us how this story is resonating with you. Leave us a voicemail at 503-293-1993 or email us relativefiction at opb.org. And thank you to my mannish wife, Kaya Wilson, who came up with a lot of great alternative titles for this podcast. False advertising, slivers of truth, splinters of lies, telltale home, the secret life of lies, Devil is in the details. Between the devil and the deep blue sea. Through their teeth, family falsehoods in the fallout that follows. <laughs> Fabrication of the family tree. Next of next of kin. Flesh and blood, fact and fiction. <laughs> the Russian dollhouse. A fabled upbringing. A pride of lying. Uh, house on stilts. That's, I don't think that's a great ender. I think false uh, false advertising. I know that is.